This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson. Carlson, jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Yes! Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me as always, Brian Calm. Hey, Elon. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us for yet another fantastic episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, where we are inching ever so closely to the playoffs. Congratulations, everybody, for making your playoffs, by the way, I assume we have a 100% playoff success rate amongst our listeners or something close to it. But Brian, I feel like you're kind of rubbing it in for the few people who maybe didn't make their playoffs. But hey, if you didn't make your playoffs, we're going to have some suggestions for you. Unless the trade deadline has passed, then maybe there's no more suggestions to be had. But, you know, we start looking towards next year's draft. But okay, so much to get into. Like Brian said, the playoffs are coming, so we're going to start focusing on what you need to do to take it from making the playoffs to winning that championship. And before we get into it all, let's mention that we are presented by DailyFaceOff.com, the site that you're going to need to go to all throughout the playoffs to look at line combinations, starting goalies, the schedule. The schedule becomes very important come playoff time, and we'll talk about that this week. But yeah, DailyFaceOff.com, bookmark that website, you're going to need it. Brock Sagan, editor-in-chief of DailyFaceOff.com, has been right on top of all the line changes since the trade deadline happened. And if you want the latest, like Elon has just mentioned, head over there to see where players are slotting in on their team's depth charts. But let's start the show with players who unfortunately will not be slotting in to any depth charts for your fantasy hockey playoffs. Let's start with some injuries. And this is the worst, right? Like you plan your whole season, you've got your lineup, you're ready for the playoffs, Everything is just right. And then you find out one of your star players is going to be gone. This is where you really have to dig deep to pull out the win. And I want to start with probably one of the most impactful injuries, Mark Giordano, gone for the season. This guy has been a fantasy stud and a defenseman stud at that, which are so hard to replace. I have nothing too comforting to say. Maybe Brian will, but let's just point out Giordano had an amazing season. He ended up with 11 goals and 37 assists for 48 points in 61 games, really cemented himself as one of the elite defensemen in the league, and of course one of the top fantasy defensemen available. But now that he's out, Brian, is there anything anyone can do? I'm curious to know the effect this has on his defense partner, TJ Brody, who is also having a great year, though he's been slow lately. Does this hurt him? Does it help him? How about the rest of the Flames? What is the impact of this Giordano injury? It's so sad, Elon, to hear you already talk about Giordano's season. In the past tense, he had a great season. And it's true. And it's very well documented how important the Mark Giordano and TJ Brody pairing has been to the Flames' success. The Flames are essentially lost without them. And I know Flames fans might be saying, oh, they're fine. They're doing all right. They've defied expectations all year. And, you know, that's true. But the likelihood of that lasting goes even further down in Giordano's absence. Now, this gives us a good chance to look at TJ Brody without Giordano and figure out just how good Brody is as a defenseman and how much he does rely on being Giordano's partner. Brody actually has not been producing a whole lot over the last little while, even with Giordano in the lineup. He had six points, just six points, in his last 17 games played dating back to late January. And since Giordano's been out, Brody does have a point, but... I think maybe a more troubling sign is that three of his worst outings of the season, possession-wise, have come in the five games played since Giordano's injury. 
He still blocks shots, and he may have the opportunity to block more, but it remains to be seen just how productive he might be able to continue to be without Giordano helping to drive the play. His new partner is Derek Englund, and Derek is spelled with a Y, as in, why is this guy about to get significant minutes in Calgary? He has 51 points in 302 career games, 4 points in 59 games played this year, and consistently poor possession numbers relative to his teammates this year in Calgary and teammates in past years in Pittsburgh. So Brody goes from having a partner who can help move the puck forward to a partner who seems to hinder those efforts everywhere he goes. And I also want to take this opportunity to point out that you may have noticed Chris Russell's blocked shots, talk of the town, broke a record, 15 blocked shots the other night, beat the previous record of 12 set by Brett Clark in Colorado in 2009. And it's funny how everyone celebrates that because that sort of really just underlines the fact that he didn't have the puck, right? You can't block shots if you have the puck and having the puck is better than blocking shots, I think. But, you know, good job for Chris Russell. And, you know, that thing happening to him could be a sign of what's going to come for the rest of the Flames' defense because all the Flames' defensemen have migrated to the top left quadrant of their player usage chart Meaning in plain terms that rather than just TJ Brody and Mark Giordano handling the team's toughest minutes and doing the heavy lifting by starting most in the defensive zone and facing the opposition's best players, and that's a job they did very well, that job is now a team effort. Every Flames defenseman is seeing similarly tough minutes over the game since Giordano's departure, and the early results are not great. So this actually might hurt Dennis Weidman too, because He's seeing more difficult minutes, and it might be harder for him to put up points in those minutes, although he did just put up a back-to-back pair of multi-point games. Each of those saw him score one point on the power play, which is going to be significantly easier for him going forward to score on the power play than being able to get points at 5-on-5. So Giordano's injury, it sounds crazy, but it's really not if you look a little closer. It is bad news for every single player on the Calgary Flames. Well, I guess the positive thing for a guy like Weidman, like there is an open spot now on the top power play, and it looks like Weidman is sitting there. And actually, according to Daily Faceoff, Brody's on the second power play and Weidman's on the first one. And like you said, he's got two assists in each of his last two games. And in both of those games, he has one power play assist. So maybe things will even out for Weidman because of an increased opportunity. And maybe it's a good time to mention that Weidman has been pretty good this season. Like if you recall, he got scratched back in the second game of the year. Probably a lot of people who had drafted him thought, okay, forget this guy and dropped him. I'm actually one of them. But overall, 64 games and he has 12 goals and 29 assists for 41 points. So that's very impressive. Great season for Weidman. But like you say... It's going to be a little harder at even strength for the Flames to score after losing their Corsi powerhouse, Mark Giordano. But, you know, increased opportunity is valuable, so we're going to talk later about playoff schedules. And if you have a couple of days where a Flames player would help, Weidman might be a good option if he's still available. I guess he's probably not in most leagues. And if you need blocks, like Brian said, you could look at other Calgary defensemen. But bad news overall... If you were a Giordano owner, I am sorry. And let's move on to another star player out for the season. This guy's had a bit of a different season than Giordano, though. Nathan McKinnon, he was definitely the talk of the town last year, had that amazing rookie season, and everyone thought he was just going to follow it up with more success, but he's had a bit of a rough go this year. Overall, he's got 14 goals and 24 assists. That makes 38 points in 64 games, which is below his pace from last year. And we had a lot of questions throughout the season of, should I drop McKinnon for this guy or this guy? And I feel like Brian and I overall were saying you should hold on. He's pretty good. He should be able to bounce back. And he was actually bouncing back. This is the frustrating thing. He has nine points in his last 12 games. Seems like Colorado is starting to produce a little more offense, but unfortunately, McKinnon is now out for the season with a fractured foot. So bad news there, but Maybe there's opportunity of a new player getting a role in Colorado. Brian, any silver lining for the McKinnon injury? There is a silver lining, and it relates to drafting next year. Hopefully, if you're savvy enough and your opponents aren't, you might be able to grab him later than you normally would have because I think this season, and especially an injury to end it, is going to contribute to his draft stock dropping. This is virtually the end of McKinnon's season, like you said, Elon. And it's been such a frustrating year, probably for him personally, but, you know, for the fantasy owners especially. He had a 63-point rookie campaign last year, 
He wasn't even poised to break 50 points this year in his sophomore season. He's not the first one to slump in his second year in the NHL. We talked about that way back on the show. I feel like it must have been like October or November at this point, Elon. But McKinnon managed to be like a half point per game guy or just above that for a large chunk of the year. It's unfortunate that he's out now. But I want to make sure that if you are in a league where you were considering keeping him or where somebody else is keeping him and might be open to a trade at this point, I would suggest that you don't fret about his long-term outlook. I think he's going to be okay, and I don't think you need to look any further for reassurance than his 192 shots on goal in the 64 games that he was able to play this season. He ranks fifth in the league in shots per 60 minutes, right above players like Sagan, Tarasenko and Ovechkin and Elon that means there are four guys ahead of him I'm gonna tell you the easy ones Rick Nash and Max Pacioretty can you even try to guess the two above him I wouldn't in probably 50 guesses but give it a shot man you know Brian if you're saying that it's gonna be tough to guess I don't know I mean from previous years there were guys like Zach Parisi or like an Evander Kane or high shot takers but I assume you have new names for me right now I have new names. So it goes Nash and Pacioretty, then Tyler Toffoli and Craig Smith. Whoa. And then Nathan McKinnon, Ovechkin, Sagan, Tarasenko. Man, if that Toffoli gets significant minutes next year, he might be a nice sleeper draft pick. Yeah, it might be hard to steal him because I feel like he did enough at the start of the year and has continued to do enough so far this year to sort of establish himself. But I think maybe he could be a good pickup for people who are just paying a little more attention come next year's draft. But okay, back to Colorado, Brian, I want to ask you, so McKinnon is out, but the Avalanche players have been producing for their owners lately. We had so many concerned owners all throughout the season talking about all of the players, basically, and wanting to know if they should drop them, you know, Landis Gog, Duchesne, Ryan O'Reilly. But right now, times have been good. So let's look at recent times here. Matt Duchesne has 11 points in his last 13 games. Landis Gog has 13 in his last 13 games. Aginla, 11 points. Tyson Berry has been on fire. He's got 13 points in his last 12 games, including a three-assist game yesterday. All of this leads me to the question, Brian, which Colorado Avalanche team are going to go into your fantasy hockey playoffs? Do you want to have these guys in your lineup or should you be concerned? I mean, you've held on to them this long. I guess it's too late. If there's a free agent, though, Brian, do you like the Avalanche or not? I do like the Avalanche. I still like the Avalanche. We've been telling people to hang on all year. And Elon, even you and I took Ryan O'Reilly for a little spin at one point and it didn't quite work out. But I wouldn't get down on them for the rest of the year if they're producing which they are, hang on to them. And I don't know how much McKinnon's absence is going to affect the production of any of his teammates. He was playing with Landeskog and O'Reilly as the center on that line. Ryan O'Reilly has moved to center. And in the most recent game, they were joined by Cody McLeod, who I don't think is going to help the production of that line very much. But I feel like I have enough faith in O'Reilly and Landeskog to be able to do it on their own. Also, we should note, Elon, that on the power play, it looks like Dennis Everberg and Cody McLeod both saw turns where McKinnon used to. But I don't think either of those guys are particularly fantasy relevant. If you're looking for abs, stick with the ones that you've been struggling to take all season. And let's look at the playoff schedule quickly. If you could get by the first round in a standard playoffs, which means it doesn't start next week, but the week after, Colorado only plays two games in that first week, but then the next two weeks they play four and four. So the semifinals and the finals... It'll be nice to have these Avalanche players. Hopefully they'll come through. And I guess one last thing since we're talking about Colorado. Can I mention that Semyon Varlamov, he's really come through for me because I'm actually in my fantasy playoffs in one of my leagues right now because we have two-week matchups. So we just started this week. Varlamov was coming off a really bad stretch where he had lower than 906 and lower than 900 actually for most games in his last four games or so. He had some really bad starts letting in four, four, three. But then his first game of my matchup was against Pittsburgh, and I was really wondering, should I even play him? Maybe I don't want to take the risk against the high-powered Penguins offense, but I decided to leave him in, and he rewarded me with a win, only one goal against, 966 save percentage, and then yesterday against Columbus, a 4 nothing shutout. So it'll be interesting to see if Varlamov will be able to come through for me for the rest of the playoffs, or if he'll go back to how he was doing right before. Well, let's not get too excited about a Columbus shutout, but Elon, yeah, Varlamov has had a very good season, and I was down on him at the start of the year, very concerned about what Colorado's porous defense and weak system would mean for him. And sure enough, it turns out that Colorado is ahead of only Buffalo in score-adjusted possession numbers. 
but Varlamov has been able to hold his own, and honestly, I don't think the Avs have as many wins as they do today without him stopping 92% of the large amount of shots that he's faced. Yeah, and it's also been like 20 games in a row now that he's played, so he's definitely a workhorse, and that has value in leagues that count saves and, of course, wins and shots against and all these things, so... He's definitely been a good guy to own, but okay, I'm being too pleasant right now, and that's not appropriate because we're in the injuries segment, so let's get somber once more because we still have a couple other pretty big names, guys who have been doing well for their owners all season and now are going to be out. Dustin Bufflin is one that needs to be mentioned. We don't know how long he'll be injured for at this point. He has an upper body injury, and they say he'll be out for two to four weeks, so that could either mean he comes back during the first week of your fantasy hockey playoffs or he's out for the whole thing so it's a big red flag and I keep on saying that I don't want to talk about the Jets anymore I'm tired of talking about the Jets but significant things keep happening to the Jets and nothing could be more significant than losing Dustin Bufflin except maybe losing Brian Little he missed their last game against Nashville it's unknown yet if he'll be able to come back. It doesn't look like it's as serious as Bufflin's injury. But yeah, back to Bufflin. He's had a great season, especially once he moved back to defense. And I'm curious to know now how things shake out for the Jets. I guess we have new line combinations and new power plays to talk about. Well, Brian Little's injury, we're still not sure how severe it's going to be. It looks like he'll miss a couple games as per the latest update. So maybe nothing to worry too much about or look too much into the future for. But Dustin Bufflin will definitely be out for a little while. And it's been such a sad season for the Jets and their blue line in terms of injuries. And now Bufflin's out. He hits, shoots, and scores at elite levels. And you can't just replace the guy in your fantasy lineup. So your best hope is that you survive long enough and you make good enough decisions in your playoffs so that he's able to recover and rejoin your team in time before you get eliminated without him. The one guy that Bufflin's absence may positively affect is Tyler Myers, who's getting to see new power play minutes alongside Toby Enstrom on the team's top unit. And speaking of Myers, we should actually mention, Elon, that he's doing pretty, pretty good as a Winnipeg Jet in terms of his production so far. Two goals and six assists for eight points in 10 games played since joining the team, and all but one of those have come at even strength. He can probably thank a high on ice shooting percentage for that, but he is also throwing more pucks towards the net with his new team than he was with Buffalo. He's also blocking fewer shots for leagues that count those, and maybe that's because there are simply fewer shots available to be blocked in Winnipeg. The flip side of that, though, is that he has a better plus-minus as well. Yeah, we grabbed Tyler Myers when we saw the trade had been done, and he's been a great acquisition so far. And now, especially with Bufflin injured, he's someone I'm happy to have in my lineup. It's also worth noting he's playing huge minutes. In the last two games, he's played 24 and a half and 26 minutes, respectively. So definitely someone who the Jets are leaning on. And of course, if you take a quick look at Daily Faceoff, you can see that Mark Shifley is now on the top power play, playing with Ladd and Wheeler. This is, I guess, to make up for... Little being injured, and then there's Enstrom and Myers on the D. So Shifley's also someone to look at. He had an assist last game, which gives him two goals and four assists in his last six. Also, Drew Stafford has been doing pretty well. He's got three points in his last three games. So the Jets still are able to give you some value fantasy-wise, even with all of these injuries. They only play nine times during the fantasy playoffs, as opposed to some other teams who play up to 11 times. So you may want to be a little wary of Jets, but you could look at the specific days. I do still want to talk this week, Brian, about how to choose which players you want based on the playoff schedule. But okay, back to the Jets. Wheeler was injured for a while. Now he's back. He scored last night. Any players you want to mention? Yeah, I think what's been lost in all the shuffling in the Jets lineup so far, like we've talked a lot about Stafford, who has six points in 10 games as a Jet. We've talked a little bit about Toulouse, who has one assist in four games as a Jet. So none of that is overly exciting just because Stafford's pace is reasonably close still to what he was doing all year in Buffalo but Michael Froelich in his last 10 games has really been turning it on he's the one stepping up to the plate in Winnipeg he's got five goals and three assists for eight points in his last 10 games and he has taken three or more shots on goal in seven of those last 10 games as well. He's hit the score sheet in eight of them, currently on a six-game point streak. If he's available in your league and you're looking for a hot hand, 
Look no further than Michael Froelich. Okay, and let's talk about one more injury, another team that we tend to talk about a lot. Trevor Daly is out for Dallas. It's looking like the same as Buffalo, they say two to four weeks, and it's another big hit. Daly was this great comeback story, I guess, this season. He's having a great year, 16 goals and 17 assists for 33 points in 61 games. So he was on track to break the 40-point mark, and considering he's never had more than, like, 25 points in his career, it was amazing, but now he's injured, so, ah, so frustrating because we own daily in the joint league that we're doing together brian but i guess on the plus side for dallas stars fans they lost daily but tyler sagan came back so we're going to talk about him brian why don't you just give us the roll down of how all of these changes affect the stars let's begin with trevor daily and he has been having like you said an unbelievably productive season and elon you've been trying to convince me of this since october and i finally acquiesced a couple months ago but he is on pace like you mentioned to break the 40 point mark for the first time in his 10-year career. One incredible part of his production this year is that he has sustained a shooting percentage nearly double his career average over 110 shots on goal. Of course, part of that can be attributed to his increased power play time, but even at even strength, he's jumped from like a 6% shooter to almost an 11% shooter. And it's just not terribly likely that's kept up over the course of an entire season, so good for Daly that it has... Um, But speaking of those 40 points, he's going to have a couple less weeks to make that happen now with this injury. And I guess this means we once again turn our sights to Alex Goligoski. He's going to be the one who gets to step into Daly's very desirable role on that star's very talented first power play unit. Though I guess I should note before saying any more that Dallas has actually been a middle-of-the-pack team all season in terms of power play success even with all the talent they have. But back to Goligoski, he has points in both games since Daly's injury, though neither of them have come on the power play. And we've made a lot so far this season of the heavy lifting that Goligoski has been doing on the Dallas back end. But despite all that, he's actually still on pace for 35 points this year. He has 28 points in 66 games played to date. Power play minutes should help boost that total a bit. And he's a good option to just slot in place of Daly if he's available in your league. Though, Brian, I will mention that in yesterday's game, Goligoski actually wasn't on the top power play unit, surprisingly enough. And also, I should mention that Klingberg went down with an injury. I'm just seeing now. This eluded me in my research yesterday, but I'm seeing on Roto World that Klingberg suffered a lower body injury. And Lindy Ruff is saying that he's day-to-day as of now, so I guess we don't really have much to go on. But if you look at yesterday's game, it was Antoine Roussel? I'm seeing who's a forward, but it looks like he was playing the defense slot on the power play. We'll definitely have to see how this all shakes out in Dallas's next game. Of course, the one thing we haven't mentioned enough is that Tyler Sagan came back and had an amazing game, scored two goals in his return. And this is like a very early return from his injury. They were saying three to eight weeks, and it was like right at the three-week mark. So great news if you're a Sagan owner. Bad news if you're a Daly or maybe now Klingberg owner, like you say, Brian, maybe Goligoski will get another opportunity, especially if both Klingberg and Daly are injured. Very interesting to see what's going on. Also, I guess that top line is something that you have to look at again in Dallas, which is something we talked about all season. You want to be with Sagan and Ben. And according to Daly Faceoff, they have Cody Eakin there, though I'm seeing that Spezza actually got a turn playing with Sagan and Ben yesterday. So definitely if the line stays as Sagan, Ben, and Spezza, that's going to be good for all three of them, I'd imagine. It would be really good for all three of them, although I don't really understand the rationale behind putting pretty much all three of your best offensive guys together on the first line, especially since Eric Cole is no longer on the team and he was able to make a little bit of noise on his own. I should mention that going back to Elon, what you said about the power play time for Goldogoski, I was looking at a team that was missing Daly and Sagan, but you're right, Sagan's back, which means now they're rolling with four forwards on that first unit and curiously one forward on the blue line somehow that makes sense so five forwards I guess is what that equals and John Klingberg seems to be the guy who gets to be the lone defenseman if he's healthy with that four forward unit if they choose to play it that way and looking at the whole lineup and how they did without Sagan it's worth noting Jason Spezza had a really good run he was second on the team in scoring during Sagan's absence with 11 points in 12 games Jamie Benn had 13 points in 12 games so he was not adversely affected with Sagan not on the ice with him Something to watch will be Jason Spezza's production now that Sagan is back in the lineup, although, you know, we've got to see how the lines settle down. 
it should be noted, like, there were a lot of fantasy frustrations with Jason Spezza over the first little while of the season, but he is now up to 53 points in 66 games, so hopefully you hung on. And in all of that discussion, talking about Dallas's lines and their power play, you mentioned Eric Cole, who got traded, and that segues perfectly to the next segment I wanted to do, where I want to talk about some players who were traded and are making a bit of an impact. So we had our big trade deadline episode earlier this week, and thanks again to the patrons who joined us for that. But of course, we couldn't get to all the trades, and even the trades we did mention, we didn't have any data yet of how the players were doing on their new teams. And I wanted to start with Eric Cole, who we didn't even mention was traded from Dallas to Detroit. And yesterday, in Detroit's game against Calgary, he picked up two assists, which made me think, oh, maybe Eric Cole is a reasonable guy to look at at this point. He's slotting in with Henrik Zetterberg and Justin Abdelkader, and I feel like if you're playing with Zetterberg, you know that points are going to potentially come. And also, by the way, Zetterberg is back from his injury, so that's another thing to point out. But yeah, also I'm seeing Eric Cole on the top power play with Detroit, so this might be a very nice opportunity, and he could maybe be a sneaky pickup? Or Brian, am I missing something? I think he is a good pickup, and you're only missing something if you think he's going to save your fantasy hockey team, because he won't. He's been a half point per game over the course of this season and most of his recent seasons as well, and I think that's what would be a fair expectation going forward. He did have a really nice run of seven points in eight games during his final days in Dallas, and that has carried over a little bit to his time in Detroit. What I like so far about the two games he's played so far in Detroit is that he is playing with quality linemates and he is seeing a good share of the offensive zone starts relative to the rest of his teammates. Both of those things make him somebody that you might want to watch in a deeper sort of league. And I guess one other nice thing about taking Eric Cole or anyone on Detroit is that Detroit plays 11 games over the three weeks of the standard fantasy hockey playoffs. And that's the most any team can play. So that would mean three, four, and four games. So if you're trying to maximize your roster, you might get a little bit more bang for your buck from Eric Cole rather than someone from, say, the Islanders who only plays eight games during that stretch. The next player I want to talk about is someone we did bring up right at the end of our trade deadline show. Curtis Glencross got traded to Washington. I feel like we probably said not someone to be too concerned about, though maybe he would have been someone since he has two goals and two assists in his last two games with the Capitals, including two power play points. So Brian, did we miss something? I don't think we missed anything. He does not have the best line mates. He's been playing with Jay Beagle and Troy Brower in the most recent game. And three of those four points have come against Buffalo for what that's worth in a game where Washington scored six goals. So I would hope that Glenn Cross got at least one, although he did a lot better than that. I'm not about to get too excited from what we've seen in the three games so far that he's played with Washington. And I'll sort of leave it at that. His time on ice leaves a bit to be desired as well. Yeah, he's played 12, 14, and 11 minutes. And I wouldn't want to have a guy who plays such few minutes on my team. So right now I've got him on my watch list, but I don't want to pick him up until I'm convinced that he's going to get a significant look in Washington, though these points might lead the coach to give him more opportunity. And like I said, he has those points on the power play. He's on the second power play unit, which is definitely not as good as the first because there's no Ovechkin or Backstrom. Though, actually, in the last game, Ovechkin did play on both power play units, apparently. So if Ovechkin's on the ice with you in any situation, you have a better chance to score, that's for sure. And also, hey, since we're mentioning Ovechkin, he had this injury scare. He missed one game, but he was back yesterday and scored a goal and got an assist against Buffalo. So he should be fine. Though, actually, Brian... Ovechkin lost his top spot in points in the league. Want to try to guess who's the new leader in the Art Ross race? Could it be Jake Voracek? Well, he's definitely in the race and he was on top for a while. But looking at the most updated numbers, and this is Sunday morning that we're recording, John Tavares with his three assists yesterday helped him leapfrog Ovechkin and Backstrom. And now he has 70 points in 67 games and he's At the top, it's a really tight race, actually. You've got Tavares, Ovechkin, Backstrom, Malkin, Crosby, and Voracek, all within four points of each other. And then there's Tarasenko right there with 64 points, so he could be a a sleeper dark horse to take the trophy, though definitely John Tavares. It's all the names that you'd expect to be there, and it's definitely worth mentioning. We probably don't mention John Tavares enough. We talk about all of his line mates, and we say, oh, you want this guy because he's playing with Tavares, but let's give credit where credit's due. Tavares might win his first Art Ross trophy this season. It's about time. Well, I guess, like, finally, he has a really good supporting cast in Long Island, and the team seems to have it together, and I expect... This is kind of a sign of things to come. I think Tavares, with the team he's got behind him now in New York, 
that he's got a chance to keep producing points at a pace that makes everybody really notice and give him credit for and not just say, well, he's doing all that, but it doesn't matter. No, now he is kind of leading a team to some good fortunes for the rest of the year. And I just don't want to gloss over Ovechkin completely, Elon. I want to mention um, that he has 69 points now in 66 games played. And um, he has helped us out of so many troubles in our joint league and my own league so far this year. I owe a lot to him. Okay, so Alex Ovechkin, if you're listening, if you want to come by Toronto or Ottawa, Brian and Elon owe you a beer. So you could cash in on that pretty much any time. And let's take it all the way back to Curtis Glencross. I think the best thing that could happen to him is that he gets to be one of the guys that takes a turn at even strength with Ovechkin and Backstrom. Hasn't happened yet. Don't know if it will. I really don't think it's going to happen on the power play, though, which is where it would be the most useful. They've got a really good five-man unit rolling. They are amongst the top units in the league. I don't see Washington changing that. So if you were hoping for Glenn Cross to be added to that power play unit, I would not hold your breath. And the last player who was traded, it is someone who we mentioned on Tuesday. And I think it was one of the more intriguing players because it was a guy who we didn't know if he was going to do well or not. But I wanted to mention Thomas Fleischman has settled in pretty nicely in Anaheim. He's got two points in his three games and he's playing on the second line with Kessler and Silverberg. So I don't know if I have too much to say. I feel like mostly what we said was accurate and you want to stick with the advice of he could be a valuable guy. But I think now he's worthy of at least having on your watch list because he's on a good line, on a good team, and he's a guy with a good history to him and so maybe this is an opportunity for him to get his career back on track of the three guys we've mentioned so far elon between cole glencross and fleischman fleischman actually has the possession numbers that are the worst relative to the rest of his teammates but of course we're only looking at two or three games played here and i'm not looking at a ton of other variables i'm really just throwing that out there he is worth watching and it would be nice to see him pick up another couple points and be a relevant guy in fantasy again. Next on the show, I want to talk about a couple of concerning goalie situations for their fantasy owners. You know, going into the fantasy hockey playoffs, one thing that's very nice is to know you have the starting goalie on their respective teams. If you have goalies and you don't even know if they're going to play, that's something that leads to sleepless nights. And there's a couple of situations that if you have these goalies, I would be concerned. I want to start in Calgary, where it seemed... Somewhat recently, like Jonas Hiller took over as the number one goalie and he was going to be the guy that Calgary was going to go with. But then all of a sudden, and I guess out of nowhere, Carrie Ramo came in to play a game against the Rangers on February 24th and had a great game, took the loss, but only let in one goal. And so the Flames played him again. Then they played him again. And it was five games in a row that Ramo was playing. It was only a couple of days ago when they had a back-to-back that Hiller got another opportunity in the Nets and he got the win. But overall now, I'd be very curious to know, do you want either of these Calgary Flames goalies going into your fantasy hockey playoffs? And if so, which one? Like, Brian, what do owners of either Hiller or Ramo do at this point? Calgary has seemed fairly indecisive about their goaltending all year. And we've had this conversation before. And to me, it's been surprising because you're on a young team and you're looking for a solid guy to back them up. And I thought Hiller was a great addition to the team and somebody who could just be there in net when they needed him. However, they've gone between him and Ramos several times this season. We've had this conversation before, and there was even a third guy involved, Joni Ortio, at one point in the air. I imagine what Calgary is going to do for the rest of the year as they continue to cling to playoff hopes is just ride the hot hand. So whichever goalie has done the best for them lately, that's who's going to start. And at this point, it is Harry Ramo, who has registered a quality start in six of his last seven starts for the team. Jonas Hiller, meanwhile, has struggled, only delivering a quality start in one of his last four starts on the season. They're about the same in terms of quality start percentage, so Ramo is given a quality start about 50% of the time. Hiller, just less, at 48.6%. And in terms of save percentages, Ramo is actually ahead in one metric, which is War on Ice's adjusted save percentage at even strength, so that tries to take into account where the shots are coming from and which of those should be stopped. So he's actually ahead of Hiller in that sense. But if you're looking at raw save percentage, Hiller is the one with the slight advantage at even strength so far this season. So there's not a whole lot to pick between given the numbers that they've put up this season, which is why I suppose it's a completely rational strategy for Flames management and coaches to go with whoever is delivering the best performances lately. 
And right now, that looks like it's Kari Ramo. Yeah, and to make matters even more challenging, Calgary only has one back-to-back scheduled during the standard fantasy hockey playoffs. So you can't even really assume that whichever goalie you have, at least they'll get a few games in. It could really go either way. Right now, I guess you want Ramo, since he's been the one that they've been riding, and he's kept on winning. They only gave Hiller that last start because it was a back-to-back. But if I was a Hiller owner right now, I would be very concerned. And I would be looking in free agency to pick someone up and maybe someone who you could pick up that will more reliably get starts is John Gibson over in Anaheim, which is a bit of a surprise because Anderson came back from injury. And I guess we all assumed that he would come back and continue his amazing season that he was having and say to Gibson, great job. Thanks for showing up. Uh, We'll take it from here. But of course, we noticed that Brizgalov was waived by the team during the time that Anderson was injured. And just recently, coach Bruce Boudreaux suggested that uh, Gibson is going to probably be splitting time with Frederick Anderson for the rest of the year. So that's what the coach says. Who knows if you can trust what he says? Maybe it'll depend on who's playing well right now. But Gibson has been doing really well. He's won his last two games with over 974 save percentages. So he's been phenomenal lately. Overall in the season, he has a 924 save percentage, only 23% owned in ESPN. And that's because Anderson was the guy who seemed like the stronghold starting goaltender. But Anderson came back from injury. He played against Arizona and got a great win against them. Only one goal against and 29 saves. But then he kind of had a pretty bad game against Pittsburgh where he led in four goals on only 20 shots. And I guess that's what's led the coach to say he's going to let the goalie split time. Brian, do you think Gibson is as good an ad as I'm making him out to be right now? Or do you say that Anderson in the end is going to get most of the starts? It's amazing that he's only owned in as many leagues as you just said, Elon, for ESPN and Yahoo. He's owned in 48%. And he is a guy that can help your team down the stretch. You're right to bring him up, especially if they're going to split time, because I think the reason that he's available in so many leagues is, well, one, of course, factor that contributes to these percentages is that people just aren't paying attention. But the other is that at one point, Gibson was supposed to just play out the rest of the year in the AHL. And like you said, Brizgalov did not exactly work out as planned. I think you could be happy with owning either one of these. If you want to own both of them and get that Anaheim handcuff, you're going to be in good shape too. If you look at the numbers, Gibson is the better goalie overall in both even strength save percentage metrics that I mentioned for Calgary. And he also has managed to get a quality start in a higher percentage of his games than Anderson has been able to, although that is also very close. They look to be fairly even in terms of what they're capable of and I imagine the Ducks might do something similar to Calgary although they're not in as tough a position fighting for a playoff spot. Well the coach said they're gonna split time so if you're gonna trust him then yeah I'd feel a lot more comfortable having Gibson than Jonas Hiller right now who is at risk of not getting any starts. Would you agree Brian if you had to choose between Hiller and Gibson? It depends on how desperate you are for those goalie starts. I think Hiller could go on a run, and if you want to bank on that happening, and a run of starts is going to help you more than one or two every week, then sure, go for it. But I would feel more comfortable with Gibson in my lineup if I can handle a sort of cap on the amount of starts I'm going to see from him. Okay, and next on the show, I've been hinting that I wanted to talk about this since the top of the show, but since the fantasy playoffs are coming, I thought, Brian, you and I could talk about some strategies that could be employed to help you get the extra edge in your fantasy hockey playoffs. Of course, it mostly depends on your team right now, and if your team isn't that strong, there's not too much you could do, though there are some things. And the key to all of this is to use the schedule, which you can see at dailyfaceoff.com. They have a nice visualization of the NHL schedule. And if you have players on your roster who you think are droppable, like we all have these like guys at the bottom who we are always looking into free agency and seeing, oh, should I flip this guy in for this or that? And we talk on the show about who's someone who's hot and should I drop this guy? So once playoff time comes, you know, you even lower your threshold of who you would drop. So you have more people in your roster who you're willing to drop. And the reason why you might drop someone is because they might have a stretch of two or three days where they're not playing. And there might be another player in free agency who's playing like two times in that stretch. So you could drop one guy for the other, get two games more than you would have had otherwise, and then maybe try to get the first guy back again. That's a strategy that I used last year. And it helped me a lot to get an extra three or four or five games in a matchup than my opponent. And especially if you have a category like shots on goal, You know, really, more games is going to help you a lot there. So that's one strategy that I think is really good. Looking at the schedule and coming up with a strategy of who you're going to add and drop on which days to maximize the number of games you're going to get. It goes without saying that if you do this strategy, 
you're going to be kind of playing with fire, although like in a reasonable way still, but you're going to have to weigh the risk of losing the guy forever and getting that extra game or two in each time you do it. Yeah, so it's definitely not the kind of thing where Ovechkin isn't playing for two games, so drop him and pick up someone who is. But if it's someone who you can afford to lose, then it's worth it. But yeah, you always have to weigh the pros and cons there. Another strategy that I really like is to look at the schedule. Again, all these strategies have to go with looking at the schedule. And the obvious thing is to go for the players who are going to be playing a lot of games. You know, you look at next week and you see, oh, this team's playing four times, this team's playing two times. Obviously, I want the player on the team playing four times. But one thing also to consider is on what days of the week those players are playing. Because if you're in a league where you have more players in your lineup than you're able to put into your roster on a given night, and the other players go on the bench, you would benefit from having players playing on off days. You want to sort of see how you could get the most games out of your roster. It seems obvious, but not something that people maybe are looking at when they're looking at the playoff schedule. They tend to just look at how many games the team is playing and maybe who they're playing. One example of this is the Tampa Bay Lightning during the first week of the fantasy playoffs. So the week going from March 16th to March 22nd, the Lightning only play three times and compare that to the Blues who play four times. So you might be thinking, oh, I'd rather have a Blues player than a Lightning player. But Tampa plays on Monday, Friday, and Sunday. So likely, if you take someone on Tampa, you're going to be able to get all three games out of that guy, while the Blues play Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday. So... Most of the players in the league are playing on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, especially Tuesday and Saturday of that week. So you might end up benching that guy that you picked up, and you might not even get as many games as if you would have taken the player from Tampa who has less games in the week, but you might get more games overall. Elon, something I've learned from owning a team with you this year is that you are just like totally obsessed about getting as many games as possible out of your lineup each week and making as many nifty little roster moves as you can. And this is another way that you can maximize your roster by making sure that everybody you have on your lineup will be able to slot in on the day. There's no sense in holding on to a forward for a whole week if they're only going to play one game. Look at the guys who are playing off days and especially, of course, look at the guys who are playing weaker competition like Buffalo and Carolina and Columbus and Colorado. Take a look at a team's strength of schedule too. There's a really good tool for this actually weekly. You can take a look over at dauberhockey.com. They have a weekly look at the schedule ahead that incorporates both amount of games played and the strength of the teams they're facing. I don't know the exact numbers that go into that calculation, but you know, from eyeballing it, it looks to be fairly legitimate. So that's a handy tool for you to use going forward for the rest of the year. But at the end of the day, it goes without saying that you're going to want to make sure you're holding on to your top players and not sacrificing them for an extra game out of somebody who is half as good. Yeah, so that's our little rundown of fantasy playoff strategy. Definitely write into us on Twitter at Keeping Carlson. We'd love to hear if you have any strategies of your own that maybe we can mention on next week's show. And hey, maybe while I'm giving fantasy hockey tips, why don't I give one more tip? You could become a patron of Keeping Carlson. That might give you an edge in your fantasy hockey playoffs. Because if you think of it, what can be better than having a whole community of patrons available to you to ask, should I drop this guy for this guy in this situation or that? And that's what you get if you become a patron of Keeping Carlson. We're asking for $5 a month. And in exchange, you have access to our patron-only Facebook group where Brian and I and the rest of the patrons are advising each other on all of our fantasy hockey decisions also we have our monthly patron cast you'll be able to come in and ask live the question that you have about your team which will be scheduled in the next couple of weeks and you also get to join on emergency podcasts like we did on tuesday so if that's something that sounds of interest to you check out keepingcarlson.com patron for more information thank you so much to the patrons who have been with us so far this season and it's not too late to join us and to show your support and support future episodes of the show. One more fantasy playoff note that I'd like to mention for patrons and non-patrons alike is just that as the season comes to a close and we hit the playoffs, it becomes more and more important to look at things in this short view. And we sort of make a name for ourselves on the show, making sure we're taking the long view. At the start of the season, the long view is always taking a big priority over the short view. But as the season moves on and we get to this point of the year, the inverse sort of takes effect because you don't have time to wait for things to even out or for the numbers to balance and settle. You need production right now, and that's why we are going to make sure to focus on the final weeks of the season, on the guys who are doing really well right now. So, Elon, how about we start a little lightning round with players who might not be owned in your league, 
but are on very interesting runs of production at the moment. Sure, and if you don't mind maybe me starting with this, let's talk about Brandon Peary on Florida. We always talk about Florida players. We might have even talked about Peary already, but he was injured for a while, and then he came back. We didn't even mention him in an Outjuries segment. That's how under the radar he was. But since he's come back, he's got four goals in five games, which is pretty wild. And he's also taking a lot of shots, so it's not as if it's completely unsustainable from what I see. He even had a nine-shot game in his first game back, though that was against Buffalo, and that accounts for two of his goals, actually. So if you take out the Buffalo game, it's still two goals in four games. Not too bad. So I'm curious to know, Brian, if you see Brandon Peary as someone who will continue this hot streak, or will he go back to his season pace, which isn't actually that bad either. He's got 13 goals in 33 games overall. Well, he's on the second power play unit, and he's a half-point-per-game player while with the Panthers, although a lot of those have come in a recent run, so maybe he might be better than that over the course of the season. And this, I suppose, goes back to the point I just made, that it doesn't so much matter what the long-term outlook is for these guys right now. You need someone who can help you at this very moment. You can risk having them on your team for a few pointless games over somebody else who is, you know, a half a point player at best. So this current run is actually pretty exciting. Elon, you mentioned his nine shot game, which came against Buffalo, which is sort of like, all right, it's Buffalo. It's still very good. Of course, nine shots do not come easily. He had six shots, though, two games earlier against Nashville. So some nice signs coming from Brandon Peary. And the other player on a hot streak that I wanted to mention before we jump to Brian's players of note, I want to talk about David DeHarnay very quickly because we brought him up at the start of this run. I feel like we mentioned that he was doing well. We might, though, have said that it might not keep up. And if we did, that was a mistake because DeHarnay has been on fire for a pretty nice stretch now. Just looking at his last 16 games, he has three goals and 11 assists. You know, just like we said, he wasn't going to give you goals, but he'll definitely give you assists. And he is providing, he's still on the top line, playing with Max Pacioretty, and I'm sure that is what explains this increased production, because that's why we brought him up in the first place, because he got promoted to the first line, and it looks like the Canadians are keeping him there, and why not? He's doing fantastically, the team is doing well. So I feel like if DeHarnay is still available in your league, and you could snag him for the fantasy hockey playoffs, I would do it right now. Worst comes to worst, you drop him in the first week. But right now, he's only owned in 26% of ESPN leagues. He's owned in my league. If he wasn't, I would pick him up. Someone who just got taken, Elon, and taken for the first time this year in my league by somebody who is not me is Alex Semin. He finally got added by somebody actually ahead of me in the standings. Semin has two goals and five assists for seven points in his last 12 games played. And he's up on the first line playing with the Stahl brothers. More importantly... He has played seven consecutive games without being scratched. So that's something for him. And in any case, Semin in the lineup and playing regularly on the top line with very capable line mates is someone worth watching. I've got another Hurricane too who's in the top nine rather than the top three right now. And he is a rookie. His name is Andre Nestrasil. He has nine points in his last ten games, but more recently, five points in his last four games. All of those five points have been assists and he's averaged three shots on goal per game in that span. He's seen more than 15 minutes of ice time in all four of those recent games, which is the longest sustained run of ice time he's had in his short NHL career to date. Like I just said, he is not playing necessarily in the top half of the Canes' depth chart, so don't expect a ton of production, but these little tiny bursts make him somebody worth keeping an eye on. And Brian, if I could jump in, things are changing so much around this time of the season. And actually, in Carolina's last game, Semin didn't play on the top line, though he did play with some pretty good line mates in Riley Nash and Jeff Skinner. And I feel like Skinner's also someone worth mentioning because he's had such a brutal year, but he's also picking things up right now. He has three goals and two assists in his last six games, and he took five shots in his last game against Minnesota. So lots of hurricanes worth looking at going into your fantasy playoffs. Let's take a look at Boston now, who are fighting for a playoff spot. And we thought David Krejci's injury would really hurt their fortunes, especially the fortunes of one player, David Pasternak. But Pasternak has managed a goal and four assists for five points in six games played since Krejci's injury. He has nine points in his last 12 games played. He's taking shots again. He's seeing a fair amount of ice time. And also recently added in my league, he's another guy who might be able to help you down the stretch. 
Yeah, and it's worth mentioning that Pasternak is on this new line with Lucic and Ryan Spooner. And Spooner's a guy who had just come up, and he's actually got five points in six games since rejoining the Bruins. So another guy to look at if you want to go even deeper than Pasternak, though maybe they're both pretty even at this point, both getting good minutes and both playing with Milan Lucic. And there's a guy on Ottawa who is competing with Boston for that fourth and final playoff spot who has also upped his game lately, and it's Mika Zibanejad, who's on a six-game point streak, three goals and three assists in that spin, and the bigger picture gives him 10 points in his last 11 games. All you need to do is watch a Senators game, and you will see how fantastic he is playing. He is all over the puck. He's putting shots on net, and he is seeing regular opportunities to do so. I just added him in my own league. I probably should have done it two weeks ago, but I've got him now, and I'm feeling pretty good about having him going forward. Yeah, and I guess at this point, you know, we've beat the drum enough. These Ottawa forwards are for real, it's looking like, at least for this season. You know, Hoffman, Stone, Zibanejad, they're all still keeping up the paces since we've mentioned them before, so no point digging into it again, but definitely all worth owning in your leagues if they're not like the most shallow of leagues. But okay, I feel like we've been doing too much sunshine and lollipops. So let's bring things down for the end of the show because just like how you were saying that we want to look at the short term for players doing well, that you want to grab them now and not worry too much about if they'll slow down, you have to look the other way too because recently one guy who I think has become maybe a snoozer in most medium or shallow leagues and maybe even deep leagues, I don't know. How bad is it, Brian, for Patrick Sharp at this point? He only has two assists in his last 14 games. He's got now 32 points in 51 games on the year, which just goes to show how well he was doing before this monumental slump. The Blackhawks are playing with him currently on the second line with Vermette and Brandon Saad, so he's not completely left for dead. And I guess it's worth mentioning that in his last game, he had six shots on goal, which was his first game with over one shot in his past six games. So maybe things are starting to look up for Sharp, or that's only one game and it's been a huge slump. So at this point, Brian, is he worth owning going into the fantasy hockey playoffs? Or would you rather grab one of these guys on hot streaks like we've just mentioned, like Zibanejad or Peary? or DeHarnay, do you drop sharp for one of these guys at this point, or do you hold on? That drought in shot attempts is really, really uncharacteristic for Sharp. Like you mentioned, he had four shots in five games played. This is a guy who had over 300 shots in 82 games last season, and believe it or not, is still on pace for like 286, despite these little lulls he's been seeing. I don't think I'd drop him for the guys we've just mentioned unless, say, Chicago is only playing two games in a crucial week for you while these guys on other teams who are doing well are playing four games in that same given week. It's just been a really bad season. He is shooting at a 1.7% success rate so far this season at even strength, which is a big difference from his normal number. And even if you look at all strengths, including on the power play, he's really just shooting at half his usual conversion rate. His on-ice shooting percentage is the fifth worst amongst regularly playing Hawks forwards, including Daniel Carcillo. So things just have not really been going Sharp's way so far this season. It doesn't mean he's any worse as long as he continues to generate shots. That was a time to get concerned when he hadn't done anything for about five games in a row. Keep an eye on his next few games because if he goes back to zeros and ones then he might not be worth having on your team, But I'm tempted, if you can afford it, I'm tempted to continue riding him out. I hope he will pay the dividends that he should have been paying all season before your playoffs are through. And hopefully this podcast has paid dividends in helping you reach your fantasy hockey goals of, of course, winning the championship. Thanks, everyone, for listening. It's really fun around playoff time. Definitely make sure you're subscribed for the rest of the episodes as we march through to the end of the regular NHL season. Also, of course, you could follow us on Twitter, at Keeping Carlson. We'd love if you could give us a five-star review on iTunes. We already mentioned the patrons. So, Brian, enough jibba-jabba. Let's cue that outro music and read us the credits. Okay, this episode of Keeping Carlson was presented by Daily Faceoff and supported very kindly by our patrons. To research the show, we used War on Ice, Hockey Analysis, Hockey Reference, Puck on Net, and Roto World. I'll also mention I use ESPN. Great job as always, Brian, and we'll catch you again next week. Until next time, keep on keeping Carl signed.